So we praise the Lord for that. Today is going to be different. It has already been different for many of you, uh, but this is time is going to be uh, no exception to that. Um, I'm not really preaching to you this morning. I'm not. Uh, I, this is not a sermon. Certain definitions to a sermon this doesn't meet uh, the qualifications. Of that. It's more like a talk um, that I'm going to have with you guys. Um, but it's been something that's been born in my heart uh, for really the last two years, um, and, and maybe before that, but known to me over the last two years. I want to kind of just give a state of our church, a direction. You know, usually most folks do this in January. I, well, March for me. <laughs> uh, I wanted to get through Colossians and share what uh, the Lord was uh, doing in that word. And uh, but to, to give a, just a direction, a little bit of summary of of where we've been the last year to two years, uh, where we're at now, and and just the direction uh, that's put a place uh, on my heart. I've shared this with a few groups, and um, you might be able to seen some snippets of this. And my prayer is that perhaps you can connect some dots uh, with what you've been exposed to the last uh, couple years, year and a half. Um, I am going to look at a text. It's not going to be the, the drive uh, of this, this talk, uh, but Matthew chapter 9. Uh, Matthew chapter 9 is one I am going to make reference to, um, bring out some thoughts from that, and, uh, as well as to Matthew 10. Um, let me just start with prayer. I want to be very careful here. When I'm not preaching from Scripture, <laughs> the danger is saying things you ought not to say. Uh, that's always a, a concern, uh, but uh, I want to pray that God would just govern my, my tongue, the things that I should say and what I shouldn't say, and that God will help you to hear uh, what He would have you to hear. So let's pray with me. Father, we recognize that this church is yours. It is wholly yours. It's here because you want it to be here. And it's here for the purpose you have for it. God, I pray that you help our church to be about your purpose. That you would indeed be the over-shepherd of this church. And as such, Lord, help me to be a faithful under-shepherd. I know that I don't deserve to be under shepherd. It has nothing to do with that, Lord. It has everything to do with just what you would want. Help me to be what you want. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit continues to convict and work in my heart and life, in the good, in the people, in the friends, but especially in the challenges adversities of life. Lord, that your word would continue to shape us and direct us. We pray this in your name. Amen. About a year and a half ago, I started to, to sense a burden in my church and in my life, especially in three areas. Uh, the first area was that we would have an understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. Um, and the last year and a half, that, uh, that subject, the role of the Holy Spirit, has had a predominant uh, place in the pulpit teaching uh, here. Uh, not only with my own teaching, but through the speakers we've had here, I think even as to this past week and weekend, uh, I would say that was probably one of the themes, not listening in, but probably one of the themes of what Karen was sharing, certainly uh, Brother Jerry White was in pour that in. But it's been in my own heart. And I think it's something that we don't really ever leave from, to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And, and the Lord continues to teach me, even the last few weeks, of, of the beauty of the, of the work of God in His Spirit in our life and how we get Christ by that. Uh, and it is... Um, it is something I, I pray that every one of you are getting challenged and you're learning 
not just from the Word of God, but you're learning and the Word of God being applied in your life. You're learning by experience the work of God in your day. <laughs> I would wish that for you. I would pray that for you. Uh, it is the blessing of walking in God's presence. Why would you want to do anything else uh, than that? Uh, and so that has been a, a theme, and it will continue to be a theme. But as God has done that work, there's also been the theme of church leadership. Uh, church leadership. And uh, those of you who have been with us last year and a half, uh, you've heard me preach through First and Second Timothy uh, and in Titus. And, and we've talked about the role of elders because it's there in Scripture. I presented to you that it is a, a real subject in church. Uh, in the New Testament, that it's there. And just to challenge us to consider, are we being faithful to the text um, of what church government is as presented in the Word of God? Is it wise for us to, to go without uh, having elders? And, and who are elders? And we've, we've had at length discussions about this. And, and I want to touch on this just a little bit. Uh, it's not going to be the primary uh, subject of which I talk about. It's just the second issue, second burden that God's placed in my heart. Um, so at this point, you have had small group discussions uh, about this. Uh, the, the consensus seems to be, from the deacons sharing with me and Sunday school teachers, is that there is an acknowledgement that there should be a, pl- uh, a plurality of elders, that elders are in the, in the Bible, that that seems to be something that you are persuaded in. It's just what does it look like in our church? That is the, <laughs> that is the, the, the main question uh, I have uh, presented to uh, the church uh, a, a paper uh, just to give some highlights of this, so, and this is kind of what it looks like. I'll have more here at the front. Uh, in case you have not had opportunity to read this, it's about 15 pages. I can understand if, if you've not had opportunity to read that, uh, but it will be here uh, there for you to, to think through. Our deacons are doing this and thinking through it and praying through it, and this is where we're at. We are looking at uh, about eight primary issues of relationship between an elder and existing authority structures in our church. We are looking at constitutions from other churches that have elders, and they all are a little different. Uh, just because there's plurality elders doesn't mean that they're all the same. They're, they all have different nuances. And we're looking at these, and we're wanting to present a, a draft to the church of what a constitution might look like at Green Pines Baptist um, for us to consider and think through. It is a draft. And so the deacons are taking each one of these issues, discussing it, uh, and wanting to present. And we've, I think we've done maybe two, maybe three of those issues uh, of presenting it to our church. This is a goal uh, of the deacons and myself to be able to present that to the church, not to do so in a form of a business meeting to say, let's vote on it, but first and primarily for you to have your own information to read through it, think through it, and then give feedback toward it. This is a congregational church, which means that we believe the Holy Spirit works among the church body. And that the church body is the final authority and matters of our church under the lead leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we want to present it to you for your own consideration, think through it, and uh, to give us feedback before we ever do bring it before a church business meeting and the proper procedure of what the Constitution presently gives for us, the constitutional changes. This is a big deal. You guys know that. Um, many of you have been here uh, much longer than me. Uh, some of you have been here from the very beginning of the church's existence uh, here at this location. And so this is a big deal. And that's why every week in the bulletin, it will remind you, please pray for this. That's why it's been an emphasis of prayer for ourselves and for uh, the women and others that we pray. But the goal is not that we have a good outcome. The goal is that we get Christ. Okay? And, and the whole idea of a leadership change, of eldership change, is that the end goal is that we get more of Christ. And we believe that we get more of Christ by being uh, submitting to one another in humility and sensing and knowing the affirmation of God's Spirit among us 
And so we want to make sure that the leadership also reveals that and communicates that as well, that it's not just one person that says, you know what, I feel like doing this, I feel like doing that, or, you know, this will work best. That, that may work in a business, but we're not a business. We are a body of Christ. And therefore, it must be under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the leadership of Christ, as best as we can be given to us under God's direction. So that's where we are with that. It seems quiet, but it's only because there is a, a group of people working on this. And it's just very, it's hard to have these discussions with a large group, but it, it will be happening at some point. So I just want you to understand, it's not forgotten. It's very much alive. It's just undercover for now. But before you get to the tip of iceberg, there's got a lot of work underneath the water level, uh, sea level, before it rises to the top. And so I want you to, to know that. That's been the second issue. The third burden that's been on my heart, first, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our church. The second is the role of church leadership in the church. But the third is discipleship. Discipleship in our church. What does it look like? What should it look like? And what is discipleship anyway? Uh, this has been birthed in my heart, interesting enough, by going to other countries. This church has been so generous and supportive of our members that are in other parts of the country, other parts of the world. And they have, you have allowed me to go and minister to our members there. But in so doing, God has exposed me to discipleship in other countries and in specifically in East Asia, where it looks a lot like Acts. I have been blessed, and those of you who have gone to East Asia, you have been blessed and challenged in seeing what the church looks like as it's being born among the people group where there is no church. When I come back from those moments, there is a, a I believe, a holy discontent that comes into my heart and life as I look at discipleship among us in Green Pond, this has been going in my life the last number of years. But specifically in the last year and a half, I have been exposed to a process of what happens in East Asia can actually happen in Nightdale and in this community. There can be births of churches, of of discipleship communities, and I'm going to explain that in just a little bit. But let me just share with you an exercise that was brought to me this last year. Emory York was with me at the time uh, that this was exposed to me. Emory's somewhere around here. Um, and it just challenged my heart. We're just going to look at numbers for a little bit, okay? Bear with me. It's going to be maybe a little dull if you don't like numbers. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about the census reports of 2010, uh, and then what it looks like for 2015, all right? We're going to count the cost. We're going to look at what it looks like in Wake County, what it looks like in the raleigh Cary area, and what it looks like in a five-mile radius around Green Pond. Do you believe, let me ask you this question, do you believe that it should be the high priority of the church, of Jesus Christ, Green Pine, to reach Night Dell for the Lord. Okay. Have you ever wondered what that looks like? How do we know when we reach Night Let me ask you, should it be a high priority for us to reach Raleigh? <laughs> Maybe. We'll let them go. Night Dell, yes, Raleigh, I know. Uh, well, when we read the Great Commission, it certainly tells us Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, Acts 1 8. And so we, we say, okay, yeah. If we're going to follow Jesus Christ, we've got to do that. What does that look like? All right, so let's, let's look at the population of, of Wake County. Uh, this is based on 2010 census numbers, uh, 1,130,490 people. Uh, Raleigh, you can see that. Uh, Five-mile radius. Now, this is projected for 2015 for the five-mile radius for Green Pond, okay? Uh, so it's not as 2010 was projected in 2015, back in 2010. 120,405 people, 
five-mile radius of Green Pines Baptist. L- let me ask you, how many of you live within five miles of Green Pines Baptist? Raise your hand if that's the case. That's most of us. Five miles is a long way if you look at it on the map. That, that takes us to the edge of downtown Raleigh. You know we're that close to downtown Raleigh? I didn't know that until I did a five-mile radius. We're on the edge there. And, of course, it takes us out uh, into the Wendell area as well. Of course, you go north toward Wake Forest uh, and south, you know, certainly toward Clayton. It's actually quite a large area. So here's uh, an interesting stat. We're going to look at what's called the evangelical believers population in that area. Okay, so we're not just talking about people who claim a religion. All right. There are, there are more than this, these stats that claim a religion. But when we talk about evangelical, these are folks who are driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, these are, are not necessarily the Mormons, okay? And so that's why we're not looking at those who just claim a religion, but looking at the evangelical stat. So we've got 19, uh, 19% in Wake County. That's 224,000. Raleigh Terry, 164,000. Uh, the five-mile radius around us, 30,000 are 25%, okay? So when you look at five miles of radius, uh, 30,000 of us, 25% of us are uh, claiming evangelical. So here's the more important question for those of us who want to reach this area. What is the non-evangelical population for this area? Well, uh, you see that uh, pretty significant. Uh, the five-mile radius, 75%, are 90,304 people. Five miles around us do not claim an, an evangelical connection, Okay. Uh, these are, this is, for all practical purposes, this is the target. These are the ones that we want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Does that make sense? Five miles around us, we'll find 90,000 people that do not claim to be gospel-driven, to be saved, all right? To have a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, all right? That's a pretty good target. It's hard to miss that got a target that big it's hard to miss it but here's the question i want to ask us what does it mean to reach that we've we've already admitted by just public assent right here we feel like it should be a high priority for green pines baptist to to reach that area let's just say five miles ninety thousand people raleigh 736,000 people. Wake County, 905,000 people. We feel like it's a high priority to reach them. What does that look like? We've got, what, 150-some here? Uh, We've got a ways to go. Right? So, are we going to get them in here? I mean, you just, 10% of that. we got 9,000 people, let's get them here. we got to do some things drastically different if we're going to have 9,000 people here. But you know what, that's selling ourselves short to go just 10%. We want to reach them. 90,000 people, what are we going to do with 90,000 people? How are we going to do that? Are we going to get them here? Are we going to get them in all the existing churches that are here? Are we going to start a bunch of new churches? Let me ask that question again. What would that church look like? Let's say we're going to start a bunch of new churches because it's going to take too much changing for us to get even 10% through. Do you agree with me? Okay, so let's start some churches. How many churches do we need to start? Now, the average church is around 100 people. Do you know that? The average church is around 100 people. So let's see, how many churches will be needed? All right. Okay, you ready? Wake County, 69,000 churches are going to be needed to reach Wake County. 69,000. We have nowhere close to that now. Nowhere close to that. Raleigh, Terry area, 7,363 churches. Just five miles around us. We'll need 903 churches. 903. So you know the Raleigh Baptist Association is more like 903 than 150. Or is it different? I don't know. 903 churches. 
Does that weigh on you like it weighed on me? If the churches average around 100 people a week, which is the average size of the church. You're going to have some churches that are, you know, hitting it with several hundred or a thousand, a thousand. Some churches are going to 50, 70. But these are all church starts. Now, let's talk about money. Let's talk about money. So when you think of a church, you probably think of a building, maybe smaller. Maybe they're meeting in school. You probably think of a, a staff person. You probably think of some kind of ministry budget. So, projected cost of total new churches based on $2 million each. $2 million. Okay, you factor in. This is research based on average of actual new church property, staff salaries, and program budgets based from a denominational church network code. This is what it is as it is now. About $2 million So, let's put that all together. For Wake County, we need $138.9 billion to reach our target. For Raleigh Perry, $14.7 billion. For just a five-mile radius, we need $1.8 billion. Billion? Not, you know, we've passed million, 999 million, or one billion dollars. All right. <laughs> Back it up. How much money can we do? This is the per capita income, according to the 2010 census. Per capita income. Five mile radius around us, 22,304. Let's apply a little math here. We already know how many people we have, evangelicals. We'll just do the math here. Uh, how much, what is the computed total salary of all evangelicals? What is the money that's in evangelical pockets uh, in an annual salary? Well, there you go. Pretty significant. Wake County, evangelicals have within their disposal $66.8 billion. Raleigh, $5.4 billion. And then around Green Pines is $683.5 million. How many of you have that apportionment? All right. That, that factors in you and everyone else that are evangelical in five-mile radius of us. It sounds impressive until you compare it to the cost. Now, that's how much we have, but we got to live, right? We, we have families. we got to school, we need transportation, we have clothes, we've got to buy food. So, uh, you know, let's just say tithe. Let's, what if, what if all the evangelicals in Wake County, Raleigh, five mile radius in this room, what if we all tithed? What would it look like? Well, if we tithe, well, there you go. $568 million in Wake County. Raleigh, $546 million. Five mile radius, if we all tithe, would be $66.3 million in all the evangelical churches in the state. If we tithe. Now, we could do a lot if we tithe, but that's a big if, isn't it? You tell me. Right now, what stats are for what the evangelicals tithe is somewhere around 3 to upper 2% what people are giving. Nowhere close to the top. Lower than depression era giving of what we do across the board. So that's a big if. And then that's the other question that I'm going to bring in this. What if all the church used their tithe money towards starting churches? That's another huge if. So what kind of dinner are we making? Well, when we total the tithe compared to cost of new churches. There you go. When this hit me, here's what happened in my life. Am I really serious? Are we really serious about making disciples of Christ? Are we really serious about reaching 
and arrogance. I think that what we have living under the illusion of is we think that growing the church is reaching an area. Right? I think in the past I have been content with, let's just grow our church. Let's just make sure that we have people joining our church, that we have new believers coming in. Let's just do that. Can you see the absurdity of that, though? If we just grow our church, we will lose the five-mile radius. We will lose Raleigh. We will lose Wake County. And even if we thought, okay, let's start churches and let's give this money. By the time we gave the money and built the 900 churches from the Raleigh, how long do you think that would take? If we had the money right now, it would take us five years get the churches started. And now we're looking at a whole new population in five years. And we're behind. Now, if if you don't really want to reach the area and the Great Commission is not really high on your list, then it shouldn't bother you. Eh, just go ahead and move on. But if we are called to reach an area and make disciples, if as a church we feel responsible for the area around us, then this is going to make us pause. We've got to do something different. So here's what's presented. Not to do attraction model discipleship. What do I mean by attraction model discipleship? Attraction model discipleship is how traditional churches work. It's how we operate. We do things. We want people to come. We'll do a children's ministry. Do you know most of children's ministry is attraction model? Discipleship for children looks like parents and, o- and others who will claim the role of parents in someone's life. But here in church in America, we, we say, okay, well, there's discipleship ministry. Uh, it's called children's ministry. Actually, that's really just attraction. We do that so that people in the community say, hey, you know what? I'm looking for something for my kids to do, and this young person is going to go learn good things, and I want them to go to this church because that will be good. Children's ministry is discipleship ministry. There's, there's work to be done in our church for that. Uh, music ministry is, a, is attraction ministry. The, what we're going to do in Easter is attraction ministry. We want people to come here and, and to be a part of that. But a church can operate just like that. Do you know how much me- money is required to do children's ministry? How much money is required to do music? How much money is required to do, do these Easter events and any other events that we do, the women's ministry and, and men's ministry? It, it's all about getting people here. It costs money to do that. Are there ways for this to happen apart from money? And the news is yes. It is being done in other parts of the world without money. It must be done in Raleigh. It must be done in the five-mile radius around us. It must be done in America without money. Because if we always hold on to money, we'll never reach this country. That's what the figures have told us. That means we have to do things differently than just attraction model churches. It means there has to be creation of another type of discipleship. I want to show this video to you to kind of get you thinking about this. What does discipleship look like? Look at this video for a few moments.
the video shows us a, a quick comparison between what we're to be, the end result, the fruit, versus maybe the content of what we do. If we're not careful, we get caught up in the activities and forget why we're doing them. It's not about programs and events. Ultimately, it's about making disciples. What I would like for us to pray about and to do is this one simple goal, to create discipleship communities that that will reproduce to three generations, that will create discipleship communities that will reproduce to three generations. It is something that is birthed out of events. Events are not the end goal. But for us to find open doors to disciple someone that will in turn disciple someone. This is not a new idea. It's something very from the beginning when I, nine years ago, said that Green Pines would be the greenhouse for the Great Commission. The difference is the Lord has worked in my heart, exposed me to things, and put a burden in my heart and say, this is how it can be done. This is how it can be done. First of all, it is not to say, let's change a lot of stuff. And for many of you, that might be a good sign. A lot of this can happen apart from having to change things. In Matthew 9, Jesus talks about old worship styles and fasting and talking about comparing with old wineskins versus new wineskins and saying that what Jesus is doing in the kingdom of God is something totally new, something different that requires different forms. You don't put new wine in old wineskins is the idea because the old wineskin would burst. It would not be able to contain the new content. For us, it's to say, let's not change a lot of things of how we did things. But keep them going. The events, the music ministries, the children's ministries. But let's look at how it's geared so that it will birth discipleship communities. Okay? An example of this is a testimony that Jeff Hillis gave last Sunday where he was wanting to start Grief Share and has been a part of the Grief Share ministry for the very first time that's been going on the last number of weeks. And the idea, though, was that as they get exposed and involved in people's lives in the Grief Share ministry, that they will be praying for someone, open door, who would be willing for them to, to come into their home or to some other neutral site and to teach this person and their friends the commands of Jesus Christ. So that the end goal is not how many people went through Grief Share ministry, but the, the measure of success of Grief Share ministry is how many communities might get started from that ministry. That is an example Another example, when we do the Easter celebration on April 19th, we have all these people here, 200 some people, they'll be exposed to the gospel through the puppets and and through other work that would be done through the music and shared through your one-on-one interactions. But what we're going to look for after this is we're going to follow up and we're going to seek out and find, will there be anyone who is open for us to come in teaching them about Jesus Christ, the commands of Christ, with them and their sphere of influence. That would be the measure of success for that Easter celebration. Not how many people are here, not even how many people we were able to share with on that day, but how many open homes, open relationships that we can now go in and teach them the commands of Christ. It becomes the new measurement for us. You see, One of the things our culture has struggled with in America is that we have seen corporate worship as the outreach tool. You know what you're doing right here? Think about it. If you want to get someone to follow Christ, okay, let me invite them to church. This is when we meet. This is where we meet. I'll come pick you up. I'll meet you at the door. I want to make sure you got someone to sit with. You'll get there, and you'll have someone there to teach you about the gospel. They will share the word of God, and I pray that God will work in it and change their heart. Isn't that normal? Where does that come from? Can we find it in the Bible? 
corporate worship. See, I want you to just bring out a novel idea. What if corporate worship was really just about God? What if it was just worshiping God? That we come together and we're for that purpose, edifying, encouraging one another, worshiping God, and it's geared toward that. It's not geared toward the community of the person who doesn't know Jesus Christ. We want to welcome them because God's commanded us to be welcome. We want to be sensitive to them, but it's not necessarily designed for them. It's designed for God. Now, when we sing, it needs to be music that is engaging us, that we can get behind. It needs to be theologically correct and teaching us these things. It needs to be uh, pleasing to God. That's the primary directive in it. But the evangelistic tool isn't what we do on Sunday morning. You are the evangelistic tool. You are. It's always been the people. Remember even the ark in the Old Testament, the ark of God, which was that, that special box that was God's presence? Who was to carry it? It was always to be borne on the shoulders of priests. And when they try to put it in a wagon, bad things happen. God's presence is not to be conveyed to the, to the people by inventions of men. God's presence is conveyed through you, the priest. Through us, the priest. Far too long we have thought it's just the pastors, which is another point of having laity involved in the elder role, is for us to understand it's not just pastors, it's all of us that bear this responsibility. You are the evangelistic tool. And so, how will this happen? One, you got to know what the commands of Christ are. Right? Do you know what the commands of Christ are? What does it mean to be a disciple? Simply, you follow Jesus and you make disciples who follow Jesus. You follow, we got this thing of Christian, I'm a Christian, and which usually means that you, you know, at some point you attended church at some point, or, or that you were involved in a baptism, or you came forward and joined the church, and therefore you give yourself permission to say, I am called a Christian. That term is also something that, that we've kind of added to it. When we want to know what it means to follow Christ, it's simply you obey Jesus. You trust in Him, you hold on to Him, and therefore you obey Him, and you consequently make disciples. Here's the question that haunted me. If the Lord came back today, how many of your disciples will be making disciples? If the Lord came back, how many of your disciples will be making disciples? That being a primary definition of what it means to be a disciple, that you are bearing fruit that's reproducing. So the measuring tool of our church is that we are making discipleship communities that will reproduce for the third generation. It is to be kingdom-minded and not church-minded. What's the difference? Green Pines is not the kingdom of God. Green Pines prayerfully is a part of the kingdom of God. What's my goal? Is my goal to get everybody in Green Pines? No. It is that the kingdom of God will come. It's not how many people in our community can get into our church, but how much of our church can get into the community. That's the question. There will be people involved in these kingdom communities that don't go to some corporate worship anywhere. Or they may go somewhere else. And it's okay. In fact, if they take this idea of discipling others and take it to other churches, then let's pray that those churches will be infected with this same mindset of kingdom growth, not just green pine. You see, a lot of the people are interested in learning about Jesus, but they're not really interested in church. Should I be offended by that? No. Jesus will take care of the church problem. I'm not to be representing or to, to make sure that I'm selling the church. I just want to teach them about Jesus. Let's disciple them and say, hey, let me tell you some stories about Jesus. And, and as the Holy Spirit works in them, then they will turn around. A lot of folks have been what's called de-churched. Not that they're unchurched, they're de-churched. Some folks have just, you know, I've had a bad experience with church. 
Well, of course you have. You've been around sinners. That's going to happen. It's going to happen. The question is, are you being around Jesus? That's the point. So, yeah, folks will say, ah, there's, a, there's some bad folks here. Or there's some bad folks at some other church. It's like, well, yeah, you know, yeah, that'll happen. Let Jesus work in your heart. Our solution, and our solution is, is not to get rid of all the bad people. Our solution is to get Jesus who deals with the bad people in our lives and gives us grace that is greater than the sin of not only ourselves but those around us. And so it's to have a kingdom mindset, not just church mindset. It will demand us to send out. Our prayer is that God will reproduce disciplers in our church. How will that happen? You're about to start, and some of you have started, the, the study, the imperative life of Christ, G3. G3 stands for uh, give in, uh, give up, and give out. But it's a categorization of the commands of Jesus. Some of you started on the surrender mission. This was born out of a, a, an individual who uh, I know, and we'll, we'll look at having him come to our church in the near future, but he was convicted that he's never discipled his son. His son was 18. He asked his son to forgive him and started to study. He's like, well, what did I disciple? Matthew 28, 19, verse 20 says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And whatsoever things I've commanded you, teach them also. So what do we teach? How do we make disciples? You teach the commands of Jesus and, and teach them that they should obey. All right? Obey. The problem is that we know too much. Discipleship often means that we know the Word of God. The thing is, Jesus is looking for people who don't know the Word of God, but who will do the Word of God. The Sermon on the Mount teaches that at the end. He says, you know, the one who, who hears these commands and does them, he is the one who builds his house upon the rock. Not just that they heard it, but they do it, they obey. So we're going to begin this. And I've challenged your Sunday school teachers to look for one or two people in each one of your small groups that they will personally spend time with with each of these commands as we study them. As we study them, there's going to be homework that is given to you. In other words, the expectation is that you do something. I mean, how many of you are going to go to a, a sports class or a, a, a physical trainer or a nutritionist and you're just going to be content with learning the stuff i'm going to tell you your your coach is not going to be content with that your nutritionist is going to want them not only to know it but are you changing your lifestyle that's for our bodies much more our spiritual life our goal is not just that we know things but are we doing things are we obeying them and so your Sunday school teacher has been challenged to find one or two in each of the classes it's been more time with and that when you're with them that you are then taking what you learn and you share it with someone else that week you see discipling and training someone isn't something that happens after you pass a course all you need to disciple someone is to know one thing more than the other person do you believe that all you have to do is just know one thing more than the other person you don't have to have the whole bible memorized just know believe and do share it with that person. As we continue on, I'm going to offer uh, another class from called T for T, which stands for Training for Trainers. Trainer is another word for disciple. All right? Disciple sometimes sounds too passive. You just resist, listen. But trainer, you understand, not only do you receive, but you do. We have had a T for T class uh, this past year, uh, a little bit less than a year ago. What's happened of that? Well, one of which, Harriet, has been starting some of the groups with, with ladies on Wednesday nights. Some of you might be in that where she's just telling stories, stories of Jesus, and is challenging you to tell those stories to someone else. Some of you think, well, you know, I can't know all this stuff. I don't know everything that you know, uh, Pastor. I don't know everything that Harriet knows. All you've got to do is tell a story. Tell a story. 
George Strutt shared last Sunday, we had a, a family visit here. They came out of food pantry ministry that we do, which is an attraction ministry, isn't it? We're getting people to come. But they visited one time, and we called them up, and, and I, 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 I just wanted to know a little bit more about them. And, and this is what the lady said. She said, you know what? I can't really learn in a class. I have a hard time learning in a class. I'm thinking, you know what? She might be an oral learner. She might need to learn by stories. And so I called George Streck up, who went to one of these T4T trainings, and said, George, here's a project. This is something that's been on our heart. I think we've got something we can do here. And so we asked her, and she opened up her, uh, her, uh, her, her mobile home over in Cross Creek, and she said, I, yeah, I want you to come, and you can teach me, and you can teach my husband, and I will invite some neighbors, and, and we want to learn about Christ. And so that's what's been going on, about on every other week so far. George and R myself and sometimes both of us will go over there. And this is a community of people. They don't come here. They came here one time. But they're learning about Jesus. They're learning about Christ. It started out of the food pantry. But we just need someone who's able, willing to take this on and say, I will disciple them. I they they want to learn. I envision I can see so easily discipleship communities like that starting up everywhere. There's one couple I've been working with and, and discipling in, in various ways. And they've, they've come here frequently in, in times past. And one of the things they, they've said, you know, we're just not like the people there at Greentown. We have a hard time connecting. I mean, you know, some of the ladies there, they're, they're talking about having discipleship and devotions at home. And I'm trying to figure out how not to cuss at my children. It, we're just not connecting. My, my husband, he, you know, he, he sells alcohol and stuff, and he just doesn't feel comfortable. He's not connecting with me. And I tried for a long time. Hey, have you considered this? And come here and come at this time. And I was just contacting them, working. I was like, come back. And, and I was trying to find all these different avenues of how they could get connected back to Green Pines. And finally I said, you know what? I tell you what, here's the deal. Just stop trying. You're beating yourself over the head. Would you be willing for a couple of us to come and do something with you, can you find someone else that's like you, similar to you? We'll come to you. Get pray for it. Hasn't happened yet, but there's openness, receptivity. One of the things that's going to be needed is that if, if that happens, that someone's got to do it with me to learn how to do that. Pray for them as well, that they'll learn how to do that. You see the idea of what can happen here. I am. Some of you know I, I do Taekwondo. I do it with, with my girls, and it's an activity, but it's also just an arena for me to do something outside of the church. But here's the conversation that I was having with, with a couple. I was involved in, in their marriage and doing counseling with them, and I said, you know what, here's what I want to do with you. He, he sought me out. He said, I want to learn about Jesus. I, I want to learn more about this. I, I grew up with this. The last Since I've been 12, he's something like 23 now, I've been training for Taekwondo. I need someone to teach me about Jesus. Will you do it? And so here's what I did. I said, okay, I'll do it with you. I want you to find someone others to come in and, and do it with, with us. And, and I said, I'm going to teach you in such a way that you'll be able to teach others. Tell the stories of Christ. You see the idea? What I'm praying for is that in each of our sons of classes, we can have two or four in each of our sons of classes that will do this. That will do this. And the goal is that once we start this community, that they get it and they start sharing with others as soon as they get it. So that they start communities. And so this third generation is a community that starts a community that starts a community. A community that's centered on the teachings of Jesus Christ and reproducing. And so let me just kind of break down some, some definitions for you. What is a discipleship community? It is a group of people meeting together for the purpose of being and reproducing disciples for Christ. For the purpose of, be, of being a disciple of Christ and reproducing a disciple of Christ. It's not an accountability group. Accountability group. That accountability group is not one that you want to create new groups of people with. I mean, you're asking tough questions. You don't want to be doing that with someone you meet every 10 years. All right? So it's a little bit different than that. Our social classes can be this, but there's a lot of things to work through for it to become this. But what we're praying is that in our social classes, there will be people birthed who will do this. Among their neighbors, among their workplace who are doing, among their hobbies, maybe among their families. 
maybe you need to start with your, your wife and your kids and work off of that foundation. A disciple of Christ will be someone who will follow Christ with their heart and actions and reproduce discipleship. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're working towards. That's what God's calling us to do. Can we do that? And so, how will this happen? When we go through the G3 study on Sunday school, small groups, what we're going to be looking for is who's going to be doing this out in the community. We'll be doing the two-for-two study. I'll be teaching that when I finish the brick-by-brick study. We'll work at it having a couple weekends where I can teach two-for-two for folks who miss it the first time. In the fall, we'll be looking at the story chain. Some of you, I think Barbara Anderson's class is going to teach the story, which is an evangelistic method of how to share the gospel. We want to equip you to be a disciple. We've got a big, huge window in front of us. We're going to find a way to do this that doesn't require $1.6 million that we don't need. Nor is it ever required to begin with. All we need is the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and His Church. Let's reach for the kingdom of God. Next year, this time, if someone asks you the question, if the Lord comes back, will your disciples, will your disciples be making disciples? The answer can be yes. submit your heart toward that end goal. That is what God's called us to. In Matthew chapter 9, he says we're to be as Matthew who's seeking those that are lost. Will you be as Matthew who seek those that are lost? Let's pray.